Last time, as you know, we concluded our discussion of why do we study the word from the Bible. And with a summary message on the secret to applying the word to your life, we concluded that series. Now, in continuing to look at how you should apply the word to your life, we begin a discussion today of a new subject titled The Power of Positive Thinking. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> The Power of Positive Thinking. <laughs> Thinking of Norman Vincent Peale. The Power of Positive Confession, which is based not on Dr. Peale's book, but based on Apostle Price's book by the same title. Apostle Price's book, The Power of Positive Confession. Now, the aim of this message and the aim of Apostle's book is to encourage you to use one of the believer's most powerful tools revealed in the Bible, which is the believer's tongue. And this tool flows from Proverbs 18.21, a familiar scripture, you're familiar with that. You could quote it with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It means that you can speak life to your life or you can speak death to your life. This in turn means that your life is controlled by your tongue. Now this is truly a remarkable statement and realization that your life is in your mouth, in your tongue. We see the impact of the tongue on your life further expressed in Proverbs 6, 2, which says, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Here we see that your words can put you in a trap, like, like an animal, or trip you up. Or as we say sometimes in law, that what you say can and will be used against you, what you say can and will be used against you in life, and perhaps in a court of law, if it reaches that stage. And that's why you're urged to guard your mouth. Using this principle of power vested in the tongue, you want to develop a habit of speaking life, not death, uh, to the circumstances and affairs that constitute your daily living. Apostle Price calls the use of this principle the power of positive confession. Here it's important to understand what the term confession means because people have so many different interpretations of this. Traditionally in Christian usage, the term confession is considered to be a much more negative than positive undertaking, such as confessing sins to a priest or to one another. But we find that there is much more in the Bible about a positive confession than there is about a negative confession. Now in defining the term, we see the Greek word for confession is homologio, homologio, H-O-M-O, L-O-G-E-O. -E you see it right there. This is a compound word formed of the word lego, L-A-G-O, which means to say, and homos, H-O-M-O-S, which means the same thing. Thus, the literal meaning of homologio is to agree with or say the same thing. As applied to this discussion by Apostle Price, homologio means to say the same thing as God says about your circumstances, to agree with God in terms of what he says about you, your life, your circumstances. 
it does not mean per se a negative uh, uh, confession uh, such as confessing personal sins. Now I know that some churches teach and this is an important part of their message that the sinner must confess his sins so that he can get saved. But this is not what the Bible teaches. Now to support their belief that the sinner must confess his sins to get saved, teachers will cite little John, 1 John 1, 9, where we are told this, if we confess our sins, he, he being God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it sounds like that might definitely apply to sinners, but a better understanding of the Bible and a Bible history and a careful reading of the scripture will show you that it is not referring to unsaved sinners at all. First, you have to understand that John was writing here in 1 John to Christian believers, people who already believe, who might fall into sin. Secondly, we also know from the promise that God would also cleanse a sinner from all unrighteousness is not referring to unsaved sinners. Why? Because it is through Christ Jesus and accepting Jesus as Lord that we are declared righteous. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 22. 2 Corinthians 5, 22, which tells us this. He, meaning Jesus, made himself who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A sinner who has not accepted Jesus as Lord has not been declared righteous. So he could not get into a state of unrighteousness that he would need to be cleansed from. This scripture in 1 John 1 9 is for believers, not sinners. Do you follow that? Are you clear on that? Now, as Apostle Price points out, what God does with the sinner's sins is to remit them. Peter conveyed this message on remission of sins on the day of Pentecost, where in Acts 2.38, and you have it right there, Peter says this, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remission means to send it away from you. When you remit the payment for your mortgage, you're putting it in the mail and you're sending it away from you. Remit. God treats, uh, what God does is send the sinner's sins away from him. He really does not forgive it. He remits it. God treats the sin as though it never was. In fact, he casts the sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, as believers, we all should know that there is a confession that every sinner must take. Now, why do I say we should know? Because this is a gathering of believers, and you had to go through this process, so you know that there is a confession that every sinner has to make. And that confession that sinners are supposed to confess is in Romans 10, 9, 10. Very familiar with that. Uh, verse 9, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now what we pick up from these two scriptures in Romans 10 is that salvation comes by your mouth, by what you say in confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, not by confessing sins. You're confessing your belief and acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Apostle Price says, you confess your way into the kingdom of God with your mouth. And then you confess with your mouth your way to the top of righteousness and victorious living in Christ. Now you will find that saying with your mouth and believing with your heart, which was paramount to obtaining salvation, which we just described, uh, is the same two-step process for receiving the countless other things from God. Same process. Believe what God said in his word about you. Believe it, stand on it, say it, and receive it. Believers should never give up saying and believing. When you go through the word of the Bible, as we did in part, and only in part, in the last teaching series, we know that whatever God says about us speaks life to us and not death. So knowing from Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue, you know that positive confession is saying and agreeing with what God says about you, which is all good. The more you say these things that God says about you, the more you move toward the manifestation of these realities in your life and circumstances. That's why you repeat them over and over again, not just once. Now, through the power of positive confession, speaking and saying are the driving force to change your life. Let me say that again. Through the power of positive confession, speaking and saying are the driving forces to change your life. Now, on the other hand, we do see others that it is not speaking that is a primary change agent in your life, but rather it is your mental attitude and thinking that are the, are the prime movers in your life. In other words, you think your way into success. It's the mental attitude that you hold forth that changes your life. It is said that you can alter your life by altering your thoughts about your life. And certainly changing your thoughts about your life can impact your life. For example, if you go from thinking of yourself as a loser to thinking of yourself as a winner, that's certainly going to alter your life somewhat. Thinking in a positive manner will attract positive things to you. So what I want to do is take a little time and examine this process of thinking versus speaking. Now let's be clear. It's not an either or proposition. That is, that we think and bring about change or we speak and bring about change. Positive thinking or positive thoughts are important to a healthy and productive life of growth and certainly helps lead to positive thinking about this life that we live. The concern arises when we find that mind and thinking are projected to be the all and in all and the only all to the process of living and changing one's life. Now, we see this elevation of thinking as a prime mover in the universe in the concept called the law of attraction. It's in any number of other teachings, but I'm gonna focus on, on the law of attraction. 
Now, the ideas in the law of attraction have been around in various forms for hundreds of years, but gained more visible prominence in recent years with the 2006 movie called The Secret. I'm sure some of you saw that. And the book by the same name, The Secret. The secret, in essence, is the law of attraction. Let me repeat that. The secret is what's called the law of attraction. And it's discussed in the book and was discussed in the movie. Now, I was given a copy of this book by one of our good members a few weeks ago, and I reviewed it again. Now, for the record, let me say that I have been familiar with the ideas discussed in The Secret for decades, having studied many years ago the New Thought Movement from which we get the law of attraction. Simply stated, this law holds that you attract to yourself what you're thinking about, especially prolonged thought. If something comes to you, you drew it with prolonged thought. And what this says is that anything and everything that comes into your life comes into your life because it's responding to something that you have attracted into your life. In other words, Opposites don't attract, like attracts like. Now, for example, if you were coming to this service today and you came to an intersection in the road or street and another car hits you, you might say, well, how is the law of attraction working here? What did I do to attract that car to me? Well, the Proponents of the law of attraction would say something like this. The truth is, you were there at that particular time. And maybe you had your mind on accidents. Maybe you were thinking about how careless people are. Nobody drives safely anymore. They don't watch out where they're going. So they would describe it that, that way, that somehow something you were thinking about uh, attracted that to you. Well, we could go on and on about all kinds of things that, 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 that where you would raise a question about how did this happen to people? How does this happen to uh, you know, people who were just sitting at home and, and didn't know that uh, a hurricane was sweeping through and it just swept them and their house away? Did they attract the hurricane to them? Well, anyway, there's a lot of explanations, so we won't go into all of that. Uh, so I have studied this in the past, and it's in this belief system known as the law of attraction that there is a universal mind and energy source that your mind and energy source are connected to. In other words, your mind and energy source are connected to the universal mind and energy source. And your thoughts in your mind serve as a magnet drawing to it from universal mind the things that predominate in your thoughts. Your power to do and achieve emanates from your mind and the thoughts it produces. Now there is recognition or admission in the belief about attraction that the design and order of the, of the universe dictates that there was mind or intelligence involved in it. In other words, it just didn't happen. But they do not acknowledge that that mind and intelligence to be God as we do. The intelligence is sometimes referred to as universal mind. Again, you are connected with this universal mind through your mind and your mental process of thinking. Again, your thinking is what attracts like things to you. 
As someone said, you are what you're thinking about all day long. And if you believe in the law of attraction, that could be true. Now, it was later found from quantum physics that we get a fuller idea from science that everything and everyone is interconnected. Everyone is connected to everyone else and everything is connected to everything. And I, I talk about this uh, in a message some time ago and I mentioned that the words that we sing in the song each Sunday morning, which we sang this morning, that we are one is absolutely true. But I pointed out that we are one and are all connected by the one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's only one spirit and that spirit connects me to you and it's the same spirit. And I pointed out then, it's the same spirit because spirit doesn't divide, doesn't divide itself. In other words, I don't have a piece of the spirit in me and you have a piece of the spirit in you and you have a piece in you. There's only one spirit. So we're all connected in this one spirit. So we are all connected but we're connected by God's spirit. Now, uh, when you get into the belief system found in the law of attraction, you find that much of it is drawn from the teachings of Jesus. And this is interesting, from the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, the heart of the belief system of attraction is what it calls the creative process, the creative process one readily recognizes that this creative process is drawn directly from the teachings of Jesus on speaking, believing, and receiving, which we talk about here almost weekly. And the proponents of the law of attraction actually acknowledge that this creative process is in fact drawn from New Testament teachings. The, this creative process in the law of attraction consists of three stages. You ask, believe, and receive. Haven't you heard that before? You ask, believe, and receive. First, you ask the universe for what you want and you hold strongly to this desire in mental thought. And second, you believe that you now have what you ask when you ask. Have you heard that before? And thirdly, you rest joyfully and confidently and receive. Now that sounds very familiar. It should. The three stages from the creative process are lifted from Matthew Chapter 21, verse 22, where Jesus says this, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, meaning believing in prayer, you will receive. And Mark eleven twenty four, very familiar uh, verse. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And we talked about this last week. Everything is now. When you pray, now. When you believe, now. When you receive, now. So, the law of attraction also emphasizes the importance of faith in its system. And it agrees with Hebrews 1.1 that faith is now. They believe that faith is now. Although it credits its belief in now to the thoughts of people like Albert Einstein you remember it was Einstein who said, us believing physicists know that there is no separation between past, present, and future. In other words, there's no such thing as past, present, and future. Time is an illusion, and it exists only in human sight, in our sight. The system would also agree, I think, with Apostle Price's definition of faith, which is, faith is acting on what you believe when it speaks 
of the adherents or believers in the law of attraction taking what's called inspired action with respect to their thoughts. One other strong component the law of attraction takes from Jesus is the supremacy Jesus places on love. In the law of attraction, love and the mind are the two most powerful forces in the universe. And you remember for Jesus, loving God and loving one another was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Love is the supreme thing. We love one another. However, and this is where I beg the difference with those teachings. After borrowing the above features from the God-inspired words in the Bible and from the teachings of Jesus, the law of attraction teaching is careful to leave both God and Jesus out of its system. And in the case of new thought and other metaphysical teachings, the redemptive work of Jesus and the healing power of the blood have no part. When stripped down, new thought and the law of attraction are happy to incorporate what they deem to be the metaphysical implications of Jesus' teachings while leaving out what they consider to be the rituals and other unnecessary trappings of organized religion. In other words, they take what they consider the good things, the creative process, love and faith. And you don't need to go to church somewhere every Sunday. You don't need to go through seven sacraments. You don't need to do a lot of other rituals that, that are part of the church. Now, quite frankly, I could see leaving aside some of the rituals and trappings that have been added to the teaching of Jesus. I'm quite sure he probably wouldn't recognize some of the churches that profess to be in his name if he were to see them. In too many cases, the professed religion is not the religion of Jesus, it is a religion about Jesus. But it's a bridge too far for me when you lead out God and Jesus, even though you adopt some of the precepts from the Bible and the teaching of Jesus. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit is left out. It is the belief in the redemptive work of Jesus and the healing power of the blood, which we just taught about, read about, shouted about, and danced about. The healing blood of Jesus has no part. I call these groups the non-religion religion. That's me. I also call them the bloodless church. All power is seen in the mind, in thinking, which form the attraction magnet in the law of attraction. Mind and thinking. Now, in this quick summary, I know that I have not done the law of attraction or new thought sufficient justice because there's so much more involved. I even hesitate, and I say this honestly, I even hesitate getting into this discussion about these you know, even in this brief overview, lest some of you rush out to learn more about them and get sidetracked from your personal spiritual development that you are now pursuing as a Christian believer. Now, I have discussed this much about them to show that while we emphasize in our teaching the power of positive confession, which is speaking to affect your life, the law of attraction and similar belief systems emphasize the mind and thinking as the most powerful tools to bring about change in your life. Now, let's turn to our source, 
the word in the Bible, to compare what is emphasized in terms of thinking and speaking. As already stated, our foundation scripture is Proverbs 18, 21, which says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Here, supreme power over your destiny is found to be in your tongue and what you say, not in your mind and what you think. Now, going back to the beginning, I mean, in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of the world, the power of the spoken word is shown to us by God in the first chapter of Genesis. By his own actions in Genesis, God demonstrates that the spoken word is the most powerful creative tool in the universe. In the first chapter of Genesis, as you know, God created the whole world and everything in it by the spoken word. God created things and brought them in existence after and God said. Creation did not flow from and God thought. God said. The preeminence of a spoken word is continued by Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, the Logos, L-O-G-O-S, which is the inspired written word of God, is represented by as and is Jesus. Jesus, who is the Son of God and the second person of the Trinity. We see this recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3. John 1, 1, 2, 3, which says this. These scriptures are familiar to you. Uh, verse 1. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We know here that the word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. Three, all things were made through him, through the word, through Jesus, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now later in John, you drop down to John 1.14, we're told this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus incarnate as he begins his ministry function on earth as the son of man, as one, as one of us. This is Jesus who is the living word, the living Logos. Now, as I said, Jesus continued to stress the importance of confession and belief in speaking things into existence following the example established by God in the first chapter of Genesis. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, we find Jesus saying this, and you can follow along in verse 32. He says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, who speaks of me, who speaks, I mean, who, who speaks of his belief in me in front of others, I will speak of my belief in him in heaven. Now, by the way, this speaking and confessing Jesus before men or before others, as some people do in church and you do when you respond to the offering call, we do this because God doesn't have any secret disciples. He doesn't have any hidden disciples. Verse 33, but whoever denies me, this is Jesus speaking, continuing, whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny, deny before my Father who is in heaven. So speaking the opposite has this negative consequence. We see this emphasis placed on confession also in 
John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. John chapter 12, verses 42, 43, which you have right there. 42 says this, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, did not speak, did not speak their belief of him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of, of God. Now in his ministry, Jesus emphasized the importance of saying and the power that was contained in one spoken word. Remember Mark eleven twenty three, 23, where Jesus says this, and you, everybody knows this by heart. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Now in Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus makes it a point to emphasize says. In other words, what's spoken, what's confessed. It is important to see here in this example that Jesus not, does not say whoever thinks this mountain should be removed. Whoever thinks that this mountain should do, disappear and does not doubt, but believes those things that he says, not believes those things that he thinks, he will have whatever he says. He doesn't say he will have whatever he thinks. Now, the emphasis is placed squarely on what the person says, not on what the person thinks. Jesus clearly indicated that what a person said was more powerful, useful, and instructive than what the person thought. This is true and effective in locating where the person is in a given point in life. And this is why in the counseling room here at CCC New York, this is a counseling room where people who respond to the invitation go after the invitation is over. In that room, all respondents are asked to tell or say where they, or whether or not they're saved. You're asked and you have to say, Yes, I have been born again. Yes, I'm saved. You can't think it. But, but if you only think it, the person asking you, the counselor, he, he, he can't read your thoughts. You have to say, I have been born again. Because this locates where the person is. And at a point in his ministry, and you recall, Jesus needed to locate where his disciples were in terms of their belief in him. Remember, the, the disciples didn't have the benefit of all of our teachings here in retrospect. A lot of them never grasped the full impact of his teachings. A lot of them thought he was going to set up a kingdom right on earth. Remember this. And they were jockeying about who would be in this position and who would be closer to him than the other and so forth. They didn't, they didn't fully understand. So... At this point in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 20, Jesus turns to his disciples and you have this exchange. It's on the next page. He asked his disciples, this is verse 13. This, remember, this is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13. He asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? Oh, I'm sorry. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? 14, so they said, this is the disciples responding. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah. 14, uh, others 
one of the other prophets. 15, Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? And you remember Simon Peter answered, this is verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is what Simon Peter said to him. Now notice, Jesus doesn't ask what a lot of us would ask. Who do you think I am? I mean, I've heard a lot of you say to somebody, looking him square in the mouth, who do you think I am? Or more than that, who do you think you are? He asks, who do men say I am? And who do you say I am? And of course, Peter responded and said that you are the Christ. Now, in this exchange between Jesus and the disciples, Jesus never asked them, as I said, who do men or you think I am? He always asked, who do they and who do you say I am? Here again, I think Jesus is going back to the very foundation for speaking a truth that was established by God in Genesis, where everything God does in the creation is preceded by what God said, not by what God thought. You see this need to confess or say where you are in truth in order to be saved. You need, you see this need to confess or say where you are in truth in order to be saved. And again, this is found in the familiar salvation scriptures of Romans 10, 9, 10, which all of you are familiar with. Verse 9 says again, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It does not say if you think in your mind and believe in your mind that God has raised him from the dead. It says if you confess, if you speak it out. And verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is what Apostle Price means, that we speak our way into salvation with our mouth. And then you proceed to speak your way into receiving the other things that God has for you in terms of precious gifts and promises and other things by knowing them, first of all, standing on them and speaking them. Now, looking at one of the scriptures from the Old Testament that I cited last week, and I bring it up again because I just used it last week, we also see the emphasis placed on saying. We see this in Joel chapter 3, verse 10. This is where God says this. He says, let the weak say I am strong. God does not say here, let the weak think they are strong. He says, let them say it. Let them speak it. Let them confess that they're strong. Again, it is a case where saying is a better description or indicator of where you are or where you want to be than simply thinking of this location. Now, obviously, there is an important role and place for the function of mind and thinking in our spiritual growth. I don't want to ignore uh, the place and importance of these. The word in the Bible gives us a look at the function of the mind and the thought process, and I'm just going to cite a few examples. For example, the important process of the transformation of your life is linked to the mind in Romans 12.2. And you know the scripture. Romans 12.2 says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you renew your mind, as we say over and over again, you renew your mind with 
the word of God, which is truth. God's word is truth. Now, I like the translation of Romans 12 too, that I just read to you that is found in the Phillips New Testament in modern English. This is a translation that you don't hear too much, but I love this translation. Uh, and Phillips renders uh, the verse Romans 12 2 this way. It writes, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your mind from within. Now it's important. Let me read that again. Don't let the world around you squeeze you in, into its mold, but let God remold your mind from within. Now, what he's talking about here is don't let the world squeeze you into its mold of what you can and cannot do. And it's mold of you're too old to do this, you're too young to do this, you're a female, you can't do this, uh, you're the wrong color, you can't do this, you're the wrong race, you can't do this, you don't have enough degrees to do this and so forth. That's the mold that uh, Phillips is saying, don't let the world squeeze you around into the mold, the way it shapes people. It says, let God remold your mind from within. Now, it's important to understand that this within is not some vague spiritual concept, but it's actually talking about the God-implanted truth within you that is working to emerge as you. The truth is already there. It's working to become you in the outer. Now, it reminds me of the poet Robert Browning's expression in his poem, Paracelsus, which I have read to you before and used in other teaching, where he describes this truth within us this way. You can follow along. Truth is within ourselves. It takes no rise from outward things, whatever you may believe. There's an inmost center in us all where truth abides in fullness. And around, wall upon wall, the gross flesh hems it in. This perfect, clear perception, which is truth, a baffling and perverting carnal mesh binds it and makes all error and to no rather consistent opening out of way whence the imprisoned splendor, the imprisoned splendor of truth may escape than affecting entry for light supposed to be without. The light is not outside of us. It is the light of the Christ within us. It's the light of the Christ within us. And it's from the announcement in John 1.9, again, the gospel of John 1.9 that we were looking at earlier, where it declares this about Jesus. It declares Jesus to be the true light, which gives light to everyone that he was coming into the world. This is the ESV translation. That's the English Standard Version translation of that. Now, turning to thinking, the word in Philippians 4.8 tells us this. And of course, you're familiar with this. Philippians 4.8, about thinking. In other words, if you're going to think on some things, this is a recommendation. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good rapport, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. So if we want to know what to think about, Apostle Paul urges us in Philippians 4.8 to think on the things that meet all the criteria described in the verse, namely things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and good rapport. 
in order to find these, you'll be thinking for a while of the things that, because they have to fit all of those criteria, not just the things that are, are one or two. Now, it is a challenge to any believer to find things to think about that contain all of those good and positive elements, but that is what the word in the Bible does. It aims to elevate our focus. Now, this is somewhat similar to the warning on thinking, and I call it a warning that we find in Proverbs 23, 7, which says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This thinking that is in the heart of the person, that's lodged in the heart of the person, is what shapes a person's character, conduct, self-control, and overall morality. To me, it's a companion to Proverbs 4.23, which says, keep your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. In other words, your character and your conduct and your overall morality is shaped by what you're thinking about. For example, if you're thinking all the time about where your next drink is going to come from, then guess what much of your life is going to be spent on? It's planning and plotting and how to get that next drink. If you're thinking about how awful people are, that they are awful at work, they're awful in the subway, they're awful on the streets, they're even awful in the church sometimes, then guess what? You're going to run into awful people and you're going to be an awful person. So forth. Let me say this. Mental fortitude and mental discipline that lead to positive thinking that helps to attract good things are all important facets and they do contribute to a person's total makeup. Apostle Price says this. He says, I submit to you that it is certainly good to think positively. There's no question that you will be better off in life if you learn to think positively. But I believe that positive thinking is only the first stage to something bigger. However, if all you ever do is think positively, you will never learn to speak positively. You must start out from a premise of positive thinking. But if all you do to think positively and never move into the next stage, then you will stay as far as your circumstances are concerned in the same environment. You will have a better attitude, continuing with Apostle Price's statement. You will be able to smile while a ship is sinking instead of wringing your hand, crying, screaming, or hollering. However, if you learn how to speak positively based on the word of God, you can keep the ship afloat. And that is a major difference. Apostle Price urges us to never give up, say, never give up saying and believing. Now, last time I taught, taught, I gave you my example of speaking and standing on God's word. Again, when I was attacked with cancer in 2008, 10 years ago, the word from the Bible that came to me was Psalm 118, 17, and you recall that, which, I say, which said to me, and it really spoke to me, the exact words from Psalm 118, 17 is this, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. I didn't even have to change anything. I just had to repeat that. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, this attack on me came at a time when a number of public figures from religion, business, and the arts had died of the very cancer that attacked my body. It was very prominent in the news for some reason 
the year before that year, and then those months surrounding this time. So the words in Psalm uh, 118, it says 188 there, but it's 118, came with great reassuring comfort to me. And I spoke this scripture out loud, out loud several times a day. This was my positive confession where I said and agreed with what God's word said about my circumstances. Now at the same time, I did take some appropriate action in the natural. I underwent certain radiation treatments that were deemed necessary because of the stage of the cancer. I prayed over the medication involved in the treatment, praying this short prayer that I composed and I've shared it with people in the healing class and uh, discipleship training and I think perhaps you as well. I prayed over the radiation treatment. I said, I thank you, Father, for the beneficial healing properties of the radiation, in the radiation, and thank you that it will not have any harmful side effects now or in the future. And that's what you need to do about any medication that you take, over-the-counter, under-the-counter, prescription, or whatever. You need to pray over that medication that it will help you in terms of beneficial impact, but that it won't have harmful side effects those side effects that you hear on television when they're describing the pills that they're promoting, that they rattle off things, uh, early blindness, uh, weakened heart, dizziness, and it goes down a whole list of things, and then you hear very softly, premature death. <laughs> you need to pray over any medication you take that it will give you the positives, but leave off the negatives. Not only negatives now, but negatives that might come down in the future. Now, my positive confession, where I said and agreed what God's word said about my circumstances, produced positive results. Ten years after the attack of the cancer, I have not died. Now, how do you know that? <laughs> and stand weekly declaring the works of the Lord, which I'm doing this morning. Never give up on saying and believing. Now, let me go back and repeat what I did. I found what God said about my situation. And there were other healing scriptures that I stood on as well. But, but this is the one that jumped out at me. And I knew it was for me. You stand on what God's word says. You say or confess what God's word says about your situation. And guess what? God will honor his word. And I'm going to show you this right here. We know, and you have to do the same thing in finding what God says about the situation. For example, if you're about to start a venture, a business, or even a, a new job, or something that you, that's involved in your putting your effort into it, then you need to know where the scriptures in the Bible says that he will, that whatever you set your hands to will be blessed. I mean, off the top of my head, I know that in the very first Psalm, it talks about the fact that if you meditate in the word, ultimately, Whatever you set your hands to will be blessed. Joshua 1, 9, I think it is, 1, 9, says that if you meditate on this word day and night, he will then, uh, you will be, then be able to, uh, to uh, make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. You need to find those words. There's something that speaks to every situation. And that's why you come to Bible study, you come to church, and you study the Bible on your own at home doesn't the Bible the book doesn't stay close so you will know those words it's important that's what positive confession is you are saying what God says about your situation 
and God is honor bound to confirm his word. And we see this in, uh, in several places the Bible talks about this, but I like what Mark 16.20 says. And you have it at the bottom of the page there. He says, and they, meaning the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Now, the signs accompanying, in my case, was a total defeat of the cancer. But look what it says. The Lord, the Lord worked with the disciples as they went everywhere, and he confirmed the word. It doesn't say that he confirmed them. He confirmed his word. In other words, the word that they taught, which was his word, they conf he confirmed that word with signs following. Now, next page. In reflecting on the impact religious experience and something like positive confession can have on one's life, it's obvious that one's personal involvement with religious and spiritual beliefs is important. During my lifetime, I have had the experience of studying many of the world's great religions. I try to basically keep that for myself, but occasionally if I find something that relates to what we're teaching about, you, you'll notice that I will put it in from time to time. I have had the experience of studying many of the world's great religions. I have studied the metaphysical stream that is evident in groups like Christian science, science of mind, religious science. I've studied new thought in the offshoots like the law of attraction. I have read many of the transcendental poets and authors who have some of these great thoughts in their literature. Now, listen to what I'm saying here. In all of these, you can find much that is good. You will encounter a number of universal truths. This is the fact. And at times, you will find statements that are absolutely the truth. They're not absolutely the truth. They are absolute truth in some of these uh, uh, belief systems but for me and this is what I want to emphasize I'm speaking for myself if you want a teaching hopefully I'm speaking for a lot of you too if you want a teaching that is absolutely sure and secure you need go no further than Jesus F-E-R-T-H-E-R -E but you have to go farther with him F-A-R-T-H-E-R -E people don't know the difference between the two but actually a good Illustration of the difference is that look at F-A-R and further. F-A-R means further with him. You have to study and learn his teachings in the Bible where you can see the love of Jesus, his service, his obedience, and his overall example that he left for us to follow. In my mind, Jesus is the perfect example of someone who practices the art and power of positive confession and reliance on God's word. We see this in John chapter eight, verses 28, the gospel of John chapter eight, verse 28, where Jesus says this, when you lift up the son of man, then you know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. As my father taught me, I speak what the father taught me. In using the power of positive confession, we are all called upon to follow the example of Jesus in speaking the things Father God has taught us in his word. That's this word that we study here at Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, that you study at home, that you hear about in Bible study, learn about in Bible study, and you'll learn about here on Sunday morning. Uh, 
we agree with and say what God says in his word about our life and our circumstances. Now, Jesus echoes his commitment to saying what God says in John, still in the gospel of John, John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. You have it right there where he tells us this, 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. 50, and I know that his command is everlasting life. I know his command, his word is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Through his command, which is his word, God has given us in the words that we should speak. I mean, given us the words that we should speak. And like Jesus, we can know that God's word is everlasting life, not death. In our positive confession, we are saying and agreeing with these words of life that God has expressed about our life and our circumstances, and they're contained in the Bible. That's why we study the word in the Bible. Now, just a little personal note. When I was in college and law school, I saw a number of my classmates turn to what I call some of the exotic teachings that have been mentioned in this message. For some of them, it was not sophisticated or intellectual just to be a basic Christian or to follow any organized traditional religion. Unfortunately, we see that this is true today in many of our young people and young adults. But as for me, I love, adopted, and live by the words of Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he wrote this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And for the third, maybe fourth and last time today, I remind you of the exhortation, the advice strongly from Apostle Price who tells us, Never stop saying and believing.